Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, we are joined by the founder of Re-Engineer Magazine and the Global Improvement Director at Dow, Shadrach Stevens. We talk about the leadership journey, different elements of leadership, and paying it forward. It's a great episode, and Shadrach tells us a bunch of stories that we can apply some learnings from through our leadership, so definitely check it out. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders who turn their teams into happy high performers that achieve their goals. So if you're interested in any leadership development programs, leadership mindset, coaching one-on-one, keynotes, psychological safety, DEI, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all that information there. And if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and share it with any leaders in your life. Thank you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Shadrach Stevens. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, the yin to my yang, the former Princeton Tiger, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? Bringing the tiger back to the show. Oh, you know what that means. <laughs> you know what that means? What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means we came to play. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm doing great. Obviously fired up to be here. So let's get this party started and introduce our fabulous guest, shall we? Let's get this party started. And we will, obviously, we have to start off with a quote. And so one of my favorite people to get quotes from about leadership is Warren Bennis. And he says, the leaders I met, whatever walk of life they were from, whatever institutions they were presiding over, always referred back to some failure, something that happened to them that was personally difficult, even traumatic. Something that made them feel that desperate sense of hitting bottom as something they thought was almost a necessity. It's as if at that moment the iron entered their soul. That moment created the resilience that leaders need. That hero's journey, right? That's where you're pulling that from? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're all about here at the Leadership Launchpad Project, right? Pain is the catalyst that awakens us to our hidden, untapped potential. Ooh, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite leaders, and obviously a friend of mine, um, we first connected on a podcast, would have been now, maybe three, four years ago, the founder of Reengineer Shadrach Stevens is joining us. Shadrach, how are you? Man, doing quite well. Man, you know what? That, that's a tough act to follow. Awesome quote, Rob. Oh, thank you. Now, Shadrach, obviously, you're going to be new to a lot of the audience on this show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll get into it. I, I'd say maybe more untraditional background. 
Uh, I am the product of two Southern Louisiana parents uh, who have come from rural and humble beginnings. You know, my, my brothers and I, I always say this is we didn't have everything we wanted, but we grew up having everything we needed. Right. And so uh, as a part of that, um, I think having a very strong foundation in our faith, you know, our education, um, even being exposed to many developmental opportunities as a, as a young kid. You know, as, as I look now today, though, and who I am now that my wife and I have two young kids, I see a lot of those kind of fundamental elements from when I was younger kind of transfer into who I am becoming today. And then also who are who I am uh, kind of passing along to that next generation through my kids. So I, I think really at the highest level, you know, I am an evolving man of God who is on a journey really to like use my experiences to positively influence all of the people around me, you know, whether or not that's my wife, my kids, uh, the colleagues at work in the community, or even the people across the industry. My, my purpose is essentially to kind of leverage my talents to improve the life of others. So that that's who I am at the core. Um, I, because of that, right, very uh, uh, busy guy, I wear many hats. <laughs> so yeah, one of the, the hats that I wear is I am a global director for one of the largest and, and probably I would say the most innovative material science companies in the world. And in that role, I'm very blessed and honored to support uh, 14 talented and highly skilled professionals across North America and Europe. Um, our subject matter experts, we really provide strategic leadership for capital planning, uh, reliability engineering. And also what I like to throw in there is we drive competitiveness. And so that's like a combination of being innovative and also uh, capturing some value. Um, so that's what I do in my, my core role um, in terms of my professional life. Uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, but I've also started a, a, a new initiative called Reengineer, which is mainly centered around driving diversity and inclusion, um, still driving value creation, but trying to make some impact across our, our, our community. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and my background. Shadrach, what does leadership mean to you? You're obviously one of those 2.0 leaders out in the world, but we always like to ask our guests this question just to make sure we're in alignment in regards to what that, that word even means. Yeah, yeah. So I, I maybe just may pull on a few elements in leadership. I'll give a statement and I'll talk through a, a couple of those elements. Um, leadership to me means a lot. Right. I mean, you obviously you two uh, interview some some highly skilled leaders, um, but how I define it as it's owning the responsibility of the journey as you grow relationships and meet needs. Woo! I that, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I take that when I wake up in the morning and if I'm hitting all of those elements, then that's a successful day for me um, at the core of it. You know, if you kind of pull out of that that statement, you have ownership. Uh, responsibility, you know, a journey, going on an expedition, and then I almost kind of group relationships and meeting needs kind of in one bucket, because I think those two things complement each other. Uh, but if you look at like each individual word, ownership is really what's your your highest level of care and commitment to an outcome, right? And maybe a, a quick story I'll tell is. If you think about the times you've had like a lot of ownership, I think back to even when I was in high school 
And as I mentioned, you know, we came up from from very humble beginnings as, as kids. And so, man, I, I wanted one of these uh, these pair of sneakers. I can't remember if it was Deion Sanders or King Griffey Jr. or something, right? <laughs> and I, they, they cost like, I don't know, 160, 70 bucks. And uh, there's no way, you know, my, my parents could afford it. And so I ended up uh, taking a, a part-time job over the summer. Um, I have a little bit of background in sports as well. I played baseball all the way through college. And so I ended up um, taking this job at a baseball complex where we were installing sod, right? Kind of resodding the whole complex and just making a, a couple of bucks an hour. Not, not, not a lot of money, but enough to be able to generate some, uh, some funding to buy the shoes. And um, it was a long summer, you know, got the money and pay for the shoes. When I finally got them, I noticed I treated those pair of sneakers much differently than when my parents had, had just bought me some, right? Because I had more ownership. I had literally blood, sweat, and tears kind of went into to getting those shoes. And, and I think as leaders, you know, the first part of even you go on that journey is, do you accept um, that level of accountability? Do you take that ownership back to whatever the outcome is? Even if it's, you know, personal journey, you have to be able to put yourself in that position um, to drive accountability. Um, the next piece of that is, you know, responsibility. Uh, I think when you, you define that word, it, it kind of is in tandem with expectations. And so you have to be crystal clear. And as you get ready to go on a journey, where we're going and, and how things will be managed. Um, another quick story. And, and you guys will probably pick up on this. I tell a lot of stories. We love it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a part of my career, um, I don't talk about it a lot, but I actually took a, a brief sabbatical from corporate um, to go and partner with a faith-based, a faith-based uh, nonprofit. And we were doing a six and a half million dollar community center project um, in a disenfranchised part of Houston, Texas. And we were in the midst of that project, mainly towards the end of it and uh, getting ready to install all of the equipment. I mean, it's a massive complex, six buildings, um, a fitness center, a restaurant, a movie theater. You know, you could just imagine uh, a collegiate style gymnasium. It was a pretty big project, right? And so uh, as I walk into the into the facility one morning, I noticed there's like broken glass everywhere in one building. And I'm, I'm afraid, right? Like what's going on? What's happening? So I mm -hmm. go inside the building and I noticed that all of like the PlayStations, the Wii's have been ripped off of the wall, uh, the, the flat screen TVs. I mean, we had literally like like 12 flat screens uh, mounted against the walls. And so what happened was we were robbed the night before, right? And so everybody's upset about it. Um, I get on the phone and I call the, the senior pastor and I tell him, man, you never guess what happened. You know, we just been robbed. We're at the very end of the project. We're going to have to replenish all of this stuff. And what he told me was, he says, you know, Shadrach, I know it's not your fault, but it was your responsibility. Oh, and I, I didn't understand that. Like when he said it in the moment, it took me even, you know, some some weeks to get what he was saying is, is that as the project manager, you know, did I have everything sequenced in the right order to be able to protect against, you know, security issues, right? And he wasn't, it wasn't as if he, he was, he wasn't blaming me for it because, you know, obviously I didn't have any control over it, 
what he was saying is that as a leader, that was an area of your responsibility. And what can you take from that and learn from it? Um, so I think even coming back to as leaders, there's a lot of things that we influence and even some things that what's the saying? Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're still accountable and responsible to those things. So um, I think that's the maybe the, the portion of leadership we don't talk a lot about is that we, we are truly responsible to ourselves and to our teams. Um, I think probably the, the more uh, I would say the, the, the part that I enjoy the most is the journey. Right. So just like any other expedition, we're going from a point A to a point B. Um, and, and really based on the environmental conditions that are around that, that journey as a leader, we choose the best path in that moment to arrive at the, the destination. And so I, I think, number one, that begins with our self-reflection, right? Am I in the best health uh, as it relates to my spirituality, my, my mentality, uh, my, my physical being, right? Am I even prepared to, to go on this journey with others? Um, but I think it also translates to the people we are leading, really, because they are also in the midst of a journey as we are as a group collectively going from point A to point B. Um, but yeah, that's the part I, I enjoy the most about leadership is, is, of course, we all get excited about arriving at the destination, but we learn the most from the journey. Um, and I think, I think that's what we pick up as a skill set or in tools to carry us on to the next opportunity and the next one. Um, the final one I think is, is maybe the most important, even though I listed as last, but it's around relationships and meeting needs. And so uh, maybe a, another quick story. And I, and I re- refer back to my work with the church uh, many times, because I think in the, the year and a half that I took that sabbatical, I grew as a leader more than probably all of the years I worked previously in, in corporate, right? Because it's it's a difference when you lead a group of people that don't get paid, yeah. right? They're volunteering their time. Um, there's a, a a common vision or goal, right? We're trying to support the community and spiritually, um, but you cannot treat people as if they were getting a paycheck, right? You have to really be respectful and uh, and be humble as a servant leader. And so there was one case that I had a, a, a associate pastor. He was like a mentor to me. And he would always preach and give talks about uh, building relationships and things of that nature. But there was one example that I don't care what talk he would have given. It would never be this example because it was it was it was leadership and relationship building in practice. And so uh, as the facilities director and kind of capital project director, um, my responsibility was to prepare the sanctuary every Sunday. And so uh, in, in this particular case, we have three services on Sunday. And so our team gets there, I don't know, 4, 4.30 in the morning to kind of get the sanctuary prepared. And this particular Sunday was a baptismal Sunday. And so we had an, an external pool that was set up inside the sanctuary. And we had folks, a uh, um, team to go ahead and fill the, the pool with water. And so we got busy on that day. Something happened. One of the guys got pulled away and uh, his eyes and attention was not on the pool. And so I'm, I'm doing my rounds. You know, we're checking the sound and audio, making sure the air conditioning is in good order and things of that nature. So I go in the sanctuary. I start taking a few steps in 
and I noticed a a, a gushy feel underneath my feet. Uh oh. Uh oh. I mean, I, I can laugh about it now, but trust me, there was no smiles on my face. I bet. <laughs> oh my and, goodness. Uh, yeah. And so uh as I get closer, you know, obviously I noticed that uh the water level had overcome the c- container of the pool. And I don't know, we must must have had about a quarter inch of water level in a certain area of the sanctuary. And uh the first thing is, man, you start panicking, like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Like we can't shut down, shut down Sunday church, right? Because it's it's flooded, and uh, we run in the back. We go get the shop vacs. We try to start scooping the water up, and just in the first few minutes, we just knew that that wasn't going to be enough, right? And I guess at this time, it's about I don't know six fifteen or so, just after six o'clock. The first uh, the door is open at seven, so we literally got less than an hour to get this thing ready. And so I called my, my mentor, he's associate pastor, and uh and we talked through it and I said, look, I don't I need help, right? I, there's no way this team of four or five guys, we cannot get this water out. I kid you not. He gets on the phone, he makes one phone call, and in 15 minutes, a guy shows up at the church with the industrial size uh vacuum cleaner type equipment and a truckload of stuff. And I was just blown away. It's like, number one, I don't know what, what in the world this guy was doing the night before, you know, <laughs> it, but for him to be called at, you know, 630 or so in the morning, jump out of bed, fly there to the church and suck up all of this water um, was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to come back to that in the story. But so just let you know what happened. We got all we got most of the water out. Um, just before the, the service started, it started to rain. And that was, you know, the range of heaven opened up, which was a great thing because people were wet. <laughs> umbrellas. <laughs> Their feet were wet, right? Yeah. As people were coming, and I don't tell this story often, so it'll be maybe one of the first times it's out there uh, openly. But as people were coming into the sanctuary, they didn't even notice that water had been in there just minutes before. And uh, we went through the whole three services and no one made a, a comment about it. Uh, the senior pastor knew about it though. And at the end of the day, he called me into his office and was like, yeah, we got, we got by on a, a you know, a good one. It's like, yeah, so-and-so he saved our day. Um, I talked to my, my mentor afterwards. I said, what did you, what did you do to get that guy out here? And he said, Shadrach, it's the relationship. He said, I've been knowing this guy for many years. I've helped meet so many needs in his life and haven't even asked him for anything in return. But there was a moment that I needed somebody to come in and address an issue. And he was that guy. I don't know if we we paid him for it or what it was managed behind the scenes. We might not even pay the guy for it. But he came through in the nick of time um, to save Sunday service. And it was in that kind of moment I realized how important as a leader relationships are. Despite, you know, what uh, what you're looking at, what may be the outcome at some point. As leaders, it's really about how do you connect with people and how do you meet their needs? And if at some point there's a common interest where you both can gain, then, yeah, th- there's an opportunity there. But at its core, it's really about how can you do 
as best as you can of a job to meet the needs of the people around you. So as I think about it, kind of coming full circle, right? Leadership to me is owning the responsibility of the journey, but then as you grow relationships and meet needs, that's what really leadership is about. What is the journey? Or maybe yeah, even so more, for what's, me, it's what's like the destination. <laughs> I, I think, and just just off the top of my head, the destination, there may be many or several destinations. I will say milestones to arriving to what your purpose is in life, right? And so the journey is what are the maybe the tools and the experience you gain to get to the milestone to ultimately have fulfillment in what your purpose is. He had that ready in his back pocket for you, sir. <laughs> I got to ask because you're obviously bringing well, yeah, with this. I, 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 I'll say one thing about that too. And, and you guys uh, talk to a lot of high performing leaders. And I even noticed this in athletics. You know, you win the championship, it feels great, right? Or I was watching, uh, there's a series on HBO right now about the Lakers. It's kind of a, a documentary, so to speak, but there's a, there's a actors and actresses playing it. And they show the example one like Magic Johnson and the Lakers won the first, you know, championship, I think in 1980. And uh, the guy interviewing Magic Johnson uh, was asking questions about, okay, how does it feel? You know, you know, what are you going to do next? And he's like, we're going to win another one. So you, you're always thinking, of, even though you just re reached, you know, the epitome of success in, in sports profession, in that case, NBA, winning the championship, you're hungry for more. What's the next one? What's the next one? So I, I, I think even you can't say good, bad, or indifferent. Once you arrive to a certain success, as leaders, we get maybe uncomfortable. We want to see what else is out there. Like I said, good, bad, or indifferent. Maybe it's some cases is wise for us to maybe uh, absorb the win and just take it in the moment and not be so interested in getting to the next thing, right? But I've seen that so <laughs> happen so many times. Yeah, in, in, in high-performing leaders is they don't maybe take that moment to enjoy it, that milestone before they go after the next opportunity. But anyway, I, was, I, I cut you off. What, what, you're about to say something. I had to get that out because I watched that series a couple of nights ago, and I was thinking, that's so interesting that, you know, the guy, Matt Johnson, gave that comment. What's the one on Netflix about Jordan? The I'm Last sure Dance. The Last Dance. You know, you last see dance. that, yeah. that yeah. play out throughout his career too, right? He had to keep going, keep going. He had to even go to baseball when he didn't think he'd keep going in basketball. But then he came back to basketball because he wanted to keep going with the journey, right? He wanted, he never wanted that journey to end. And I think as athletes, we understand that, right? Because that is where the enjoyment lives. It's in the process of, of that flow, right? Like being able to experience that flow state alongside teammates, especially. I mean, there's nothing better to, better than that, right? Athletes in the room, all three of us. But I was going to ask about, you know, the relationship. So obviously that's what you walked away from your sabbatical, really having a deep appreciation for in regards to how that really is what leadership is all about. And you said, I never really learned that in the co context of um, my corporate career. 
So why is this such a blind spot, do you think, in 2022, that leadership really is all about the relationship? Yeah, and it's, you know, the blind spot is, um, I don't know why, it's easy. But for some reason, we miss it. And I even missed it as a, as a young leader um, or young, I would probably say, influential leader. It's we're focused on the performance and the output, not about the journey, per se. And when you get in that environment, sure, you think, OK, I'm going to drive this level of accountability to people. And if they're not meeting the expectation, then they're not the right people to be on the team and not understanding that they are also going on a journey. They, they have a, you know, a, I think a passion, a talent to do something of success. And maybe they're not aligned to the right opportunity. But as leaders, I think we just we just have a blind spot or not the right lens to pick up on really what that person's journey is. We're more focused on the outcome. Now, I will just to be fair to leaders, I will say the environments that we live in with it being very competitive, right, in order to uh, to drive financial success for our companies, it, it kind of forces us to give more attention towards or are we competing? Are we driving high performance out of our team? What I found out is if you actually take that investment into the, the teammates, they will deliver the performance on the back end, right? But it takes that commitment to look at, okay, this is a multi-generational plan. This is not, hey, we might not meet the the, uh, the the core goal by the end of this year, but if you look at the course of two or three, four or five years, we will be a better team and then still meet the expectations of the goals. But because we are impatient, we got to meet the competitiveness targets that are in front of us. I think we lose sight of the fact that it truly is about the team versus the destination. <laughs> it's abs I mean, it's absolutely true. Now, Shadrach, something you're talking about now is about developing people and also about allowing them to thrive on their own journeys. And that's what I see that you've created with Reengineer. Do you want to talk about that for for folks? Sure, sure. Um <clears throat> at its uh, probably highest level, Reengineer is a collaborative community of professionals who are preparing the next generation of minority-based STEM um, leaders. And one of our goals, and this is going back to like the journey, one of our core goals is to increase the negative trend of percentage of Black students that graduate in STEM programs, right? So a little bit of background there. If you look at the 80s, 1980s, the 1990s, the trend of percentage of black uh, engineers specifically was going up year over year, you know, astronomically. I think a big portion of that was what we saw with affirmative action kind of coming into play. And now really institutions were creating frameworks to financially support uh, minority students to go into STEM programs. Um, ever since the, the start of around 2000, 2001, that trend took a sharp turn downward. And even fast forward to a uh, current year, it's been going down ever since 2000, early 2000s. And so one of our goals is to try to understand why is that the case, right? We think from a financial perspective, 
uh, STEM careers provides a great opportunity for folks to earn a living for their families. I mean, I think payscale.com reported 17 out of the top 25 jobs right now coming out of school directly out of a bachelor's degree program um, are the most high paying jobs or STEM, right? So it's a, a little bit about empowerment um, in terms of education, having the ability to learn um, a skill set that, that provides success in one's career, but as it also translates to financial success, right? But for, for many different reasons why the trend is going downward. Um, one of the, the root causes, as you guys know, my, my background is in uh, reliability engineering. So I got to spend time understanding the root cause. <laughs> um, and, and this is truly my life's journey, right? Now, do we achieve this goal um, in my lifetime? I don't know, but I'm going to make sure we do enough, have enough progress for the next person to take it on. Um, but one of the root causes we've identified is centered around affirmative action, right? So in the early 2000s, um, and you may recall some of this, um, there were several uh, cases brought against the institutions about um, how we define diversity for scholarships, right? There were some individuals who thought because they were not either a person of color, African-American, um, they feel slighted for not getting the opportunity to apply for scholarships. And they brought those, uh, those institutions to litigation. Now, I don't, it doesn't say whether or not they won, but I will say this. These cases were brought up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court did not make any decision against them. So what does that mean? Well, the institutions now are really afraid to continue driving these frameworks of programs for the sake that they may get you know, brought to court or might get sued. And so what you see in the early 2000s is affirmative action, especially around the collegiate level, kind of go away. And one of the, you know, the benefits of having that is to provide that financial uh, you know, uh, support for minority students to even go to school, right? And so we, we're, we're not addressing the financial part yet that is in our, our plan and, and trying to make some headway there is maybe um, structurally how we can get more minority students financial support. Um, the first stage of what we're doing is providing exposure to what a STEM career looks like. And we're doing that but through a, a magazine, a quarterly publication that we put out there where the majority of the folks that are in a magazine are minority professionals, right? So we, we want to encourage, you know, we do some work in the K through 12 space, um, but most of our demographics fit in the collegiate and young professional space um, because we want to encourage them to continue and finish in their STEM programs. But we also want to show them or expose them um, to possibilities. So like people like myself, right? I got almost 20 years in industry working, um, starting out as an individual contributor to now a global leader for a Fortune 100 company, right? And I come from a humble background, um, you know, had to work my way up through school, um, did really well in the developing stages of my career to get to this point. You know, people like me and others, we need to tell our stories so that they can see what the possibilities can be for them if they could continue to work through it. Um, yeah, so re-engineer, we, we, we started with this whole idea of mentoring, you know, minority professionals. And it got to a point where I had, you know, three, four, five, 10, 12 mentees. And it was like, man, this, this is way too much for me to, to uh, maintain, <laughs> right? And you know, Rob, you mentor a lot of folks as well. And so I said, I, I got to 
kind of bring in this community of practice, right? Start influencing others around me uh, to do the same things. And also, we may talk about this later on the call, but um, in this new age that we live in, you have to be appealing to the next generation. You just can't say, hey, you know, I'm a mentor. Why don't you partner with me? You have to be appetizing. You got to compete in the in the social media era. Era, you have to compete for eyeballs, right? And so that's where the the magazine came was something different, something unique. Um, you know, the, the caveat beyond it too is who does not want to be in a magazine, right? <laughs> to be able to yeah. to tell your story and to give back. And so uh, we, we've we've just about a, a year under our belt with the magazine. Uh, actually, have the spring edition that's going to come out here in a couple of weeks. So excited about the work that we're doing there. Uh, but essentially, we're trying to really provide this level of exposure. It's kind of like phase one, you know, market, uh, re-engineer, get the brand out there, um, tell some great stories through the magazine. And ultimately, we want to get to that point where we can start driving some more uh, systemic problems and, and, and affordability for college students. Wow, what an incredibly powerful mission you're on. I feel like this really aligns with the mission that we're on over here at the Leadership Launchpad Project, right, Rob? I, we, we've been saying the last couple of years on this show uh, through the disruption that uh, one of the biggest silver linings that we've been able to see is that this really has exposed a lot of the inequities, right, systemically, in the system, in the foundations um, of the leaders and the businesses that are run by those leaders. And so we see that this has really accelerated the conversation around DEI, right? We've had so many different experts on this show talking about how they're getting their phones been ringing off the hook uh, throughout the last two years of the pandemic. We're curious as to what you're seeing over there on your side of things, Shadrach. Where do you see the biggest silver linings or opportunities buried in the last two years adversity. Yeah. So, um, you know, especially with re-engineer and even what I do with, within Dow, um, I really look at diversity as diversity of thought and diversity of thought is, is mainly interested in driving the most value. So regardless of race, color, creed, it's about providing and empowering others around you to be able to be successful. In this case, you know, with what we're doing with re-engineer and driving a higher representation in minorities in STEM, you know, in my, my, my work life and corporate life, value is, hey, driving competitiveness, solving the most, you know, challenging problems, um, creating some financial contributions to the company. At the center of all of that is diversity of thought. And Rob and I, we, we've chatted in the past about this topic. Um, I think in, in, if I look back in my career, the most successful opportunities I've ran across is when I've been on the most diverse teams, period, right? And you can, you can go look at the resume on LinkedIn. I've had a tremendous amount of success and been blessed for it. But at the milestone of every one of those was a layer of technician, a layer of skilled tradesmen, a layer of engineers, a layer of leaders, kind of cross-functionally working towards a, a common goal. Um, and with that, I, it's, it's like rooted in my foundation. I truly believe diversity drives value, right? So I don't, I don't think it should be, you know, what, um, 
Like, what can we do to create a more diverse environment? It, we should challenge leaders. What do you want? What should we do to create the most valuable environment? And whoever fits that description, no matter what they look like, where their background comes from, they should be invited to the table. Right. And I, I, I can go on case study after case study of having the most diverse teams drive the most value. And even I think, Rob, you mentioned this several times in social media and whatnot, um, what the data says around diverse teams. Right. But it's uh, maybe so the conversation is really heavy on diversity inclusion. Um, but just, you know, everybody should just feel comfortable to be empowered to bring their best self to the situation. I think that's really the where I see the the conversation going. I love that, right? And it's to me that's where the peace, right, of the psychological safety and the trust and even the peace that like everyone puts D and I together. But inclusion and belonging are vastly different than diversity, right? And it's that people can, and even the data shows this, like the recent study Amy Edmondson posted, right, is a diverse team with no psych safety performs worse than a, like, basically a similar team, like a non-diverse team. And that's the key piece is people, they have to have this level of trust. They have to have the relationships. They have to feel seen, included, feel like they belong. And that's when truly you unlock their gifts and their ideas and their opinions and that growth. And that's something yes. that wanted it, it takes internal work for each people, each person, but it also takes the work of the leader to cultivate that in the environment. It, it takes also suppression of ego, right? Absolutely. I mean, as, as leaders, you know, we're charged to be out front and leading the organization. And I think sometimes uh, the position best served for us is in the back or in the middle, in the midst of the team. I mean, it's depending upon the condition as a leader, you have to pivot in different positions. Right. And we have to, as, as leaders, you know, suppress that ego to to want to be the voice and instead let the team be the voice. Um, which kind of comes back to the earlier comment about meeting needs. I think as a, a part of that relationship building, um, you have everybody's motivated to do something. And as leaders, do we spend enough time to understand what the motivation in life is? If you do that, you can connect at a deeper level with no at corporate, in the community, no matter where, right? Um, and just quick, quick story. I had a guy on our, one of my teams in reliability. Um, his motivation was really to be appreciated. Like he, uh, long story short, we, we went through a whole training process, but we, we taught this individual how to do an informal RCI, something very simple, right? Go and inspect a piece of equipment, write up a, a detailed report about it. Um, through the process of doing that, he would send emails to the leaders about, you know, the investigation he did. And he would get tons of replies from leaders saying, great job, you know, very detailed report. And for him, that meant the world to him. Something simple as, hey, just appreciation and feedback. 
right? But if you don't spend the time to understand who he is as a person, you wouldn't know that that's his motivational trigger, right? So I think that's that's the part where if you really take a step back as a leader, suppress the ego to spend more time with the team, you get to that level of understanding their motivational behaviors. It's what you said about needs. Mm-hmm. Susan and I spend our entire days helping people meet their own needs intrinsically. And that's the pivot. And it's not necessarily suppressing the ego. It's healing the ego. Mm. And what you mentioned about Magic Johnson, and there's even this famous baseball player, I don't remember what his name was, but he won the World Series and he woke up the next morning and he was sad in bed. And he tells the story and his wife asks him, what's wrong? And he says, I don't know what to do. And it went down this path of addiction and ultimately a suicide attempt. And he talks about it because he could never fill what he needed. And those folks are the people... They're everywhere. It's almost everybody to the extent of the extent can be extreme, but it also can be less extreme. But that's what it is. And once those people heal and they can meet their own needs, they'll flourish in ways that is truly unbelievable. And the folks that don't heal, they're the ones that, lead to this bullying, the command control, the I'm better than you, the I need more because, because they hurt inside. And that's the Man, that's deep. (laughs) Yeah, that's deep, man. Yeah, you've been doing the work, I can tell. Um, (laughs) You know, just, and I know we're, we're, we're kind of bouncing around, but just another a uh, caveat to that, and the, the same example um, I mentioned with the guy doing the, the root cause investigations. We, if you fast forward from a four year period, we improved the reliability at that plant by 85%, astronomical change in a, in a short period of time. The very first year from implementation of the, the project or the, the initiative, uh, we were actually going in the wrong direction. We were averaging about 50 plant trips per year. So just imagine if you were a staff member and you went to work at least once a week, your plant was shut down. Wow. Pretty chaotic, <laughs> right? After the first year of impl- implementation, from averaging 50 a year, we had 51 plant shutdowns, Right. So many would say, oh, that was not successful, right? You guys didn't even budge the needle a bit. But we were like, Rob, we were doing the work, the relationships, you know, understanding the motivational behaviors. The next year, we went from 50, I think it was 26. Then we went from 26 uh, to 17, and then from 17 to 8. Right. So it really comes full circle is as leaders, maybe you're right, Rob, maybe it's not the suppression ego, 
do we maybe have the patience to to build and cultivate the team in order to get to the long-term goal? Or are we focused only in the short-term win space? Yeah, you can tell you guys come from the same space, root cause analysis. It's amazing <laughs> how it even shows up in an experience. And yes, leadership coaching. <laughs> uh, I have to ask Shadrach, before we get you out, one of our favorite questions here at the Leadership Launchpad Project, and I kind of feel like as a man of such deep faith, uh, you probably have contemplated this question before, so hopefully we're not catching you off guard with it. But uh, yeah, what do you want your, your legacy to be, the legacy of all this fabulous work you're doing out in the world to be? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, at the core, I want to be able to provide more opportunities to the next generation than the previous one left for me. And I share this a lot on, on LinkedIn and social media. Um, I can't pay it back, so I pay it forward. I think, yeah, okay, selfishly or for whatever reason, it starts with like my family first. So for my son, my daughter, I want to be able to put them in a better position than I was. The same thing as my dad did for me. At least, uh, you know, do I want them to be a re-engineer? They, they will choose what their direction. But I would love for them to have options to be able to make the choice and however they want to pivot. And then for uh, the community at large, is really the work through engineer and even how I take, uh, you know, my perspectives in the corporate life. You know, I want to be able to provide those opportunities for people to grow and help them to arrive to whatever they define as success, right? And traditionally, it's been around the STEM areas, but there are. I will say I, I mentor uh, many folks from different um, backgrounds. There's got one young lady in India. Her background is in, in human resources. And so there's no direct connection, you know, uh, professionally in what we do. But I'm there to provide same thing as you, you two, provide that level of support to be able to see them arrive to their level of success. So, yeah, that, that's, you know, can't pay it back. So pay it forward. That's my legacy. <laughs> and I, I see it being so much bigger than engineering and STEM. And that's what I see. And I see you keep putting out more stuff that's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm not sure you see it as much as I do, but you will. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to see the well, forest through the trees. <laughs> I think that's the, the engineering brain, the left brain, right? Working on me to, to process it all out and have a strategy and sequentially work through it. But you're absolutely right. Um, things will happen as they happen. And, you know, on this journey that I'm on, as I try to be as prepared for when those opportunities come up. So uh, thanks for that feedback. I love it. And for folks out there, if you want to check out Shadrach's link, well, one is we'll drop his LinkedIn in the podcast notes. And also, if you want to check out the magazine, it's reengineer.co. So you can go there, sign up for the magazine and find it there. Shadrach, is there anywhere else that you want folks to check you out? Yeah, main thing is, uh, you know, please subscribe to the magazine. We're a building community, and so uh, all of the support is is uh, appreciated. Um, just on all social media platforms at Reengineer is where you can find me. And um, who knows, we may be ending up in uh, one of your your circles of influence one day. Uh, we have uh, several STEM events that are coming up um, around the, the Gulf Coast area, 
Um, also doing some collaborations with some of the colleges and universities. And so, uh, yeah, just uh, follow me on social media, on the website, and um, and reach out if you have any question about what we're doing. If you'd like to support it, um, go through the website and, and drop me an email, and uh, we'll make sure to get back to you. I love it. And we'll, we'll do our best to connect you with some leaders for our us obviously please hit subscribe to leadership launchpad project on your favorite podcast platform and head on over to elitehighperformance.com for all your leadership development high performance coaching speaking psych safety and more we have it all over there susan is there anything you want to leave us with today I love it. If you can't pay it back, pay it forward, folks. I hope that is going to leave a mark in your brain as you set out on your missions this week to spread that ripple effect. So I have to ask, how are you paying it forward? Hmm? That's where I want to leave our folks today. I hope that you are using all that you have been given to the best of your ability, making best and highest use of it, being of highest service to this world when this world needs this type of mentorship more than ever. I love it. And for me, I'm going to leave us with a quote that I've really enjoyed the last few days. And it's from Muji, the Jamaican spiritual teacher. And he says, step into the fire of self-discovery. This fire will not burn you. It will only burn what you're not. Shadrach, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.